0: Hey everyone, welcome to our ex- September Exchange Chat. I'm super excited to have the wonderless PTs, Jess and Gabe Renzi here with me to talk about travel PT. Before we get started, just so you guys know, there will be a conversation down in the comments throughout this entire discussion, and there's also a discussion happening on Twitter. Use the hashtag exchangeSA to be a part of that conversation. Um, I'm just gonna let you guys kind of introduce your backgrounds and you know where you went to school and how you got into this and where you are now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Gabe Renzi and my wife Jessica Renzi. Uh, we met actually at Damon College, which is a fantastic school in Buffalo, New York. And uh, I graduated in 2010, just graduated in 2009 from Damon. And that's actually where we met. You know, that's where I was able to put the thought of travel therapy in her, her cute big mind there. <laughs> and uh, so we've been started, we actually started traveling as soon as I graduated in 2010. And we've been doing it for the last eight years. And that's actually all we have been doing, uh, doing traveling therapy. And it's been such a fantastic uh, experience for us. And we mainly do outpatient ortho and home care. So those, those are two different settings that we love to uh, you know, practice in. But uh, you know, the great thing about travel therapy, it provides all different settings. But, so that's a little bit about us. Mm-hmm.
2: And we started our com blog because we were getting a lot of questions from friends and friends of friends about how to do travel PT after we've been doing it for a couple of years. Um, we got uh, pretty good at it. And so people were saying, well, how do we do this? How do we do that? Um, so I thought, you know what? I need to share this with the world. I need to make a blog about it. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how wonderlustpts was born.
0: Well, I love it. And don't you guys live in a van? Isn't that what i heard from someone?
1: Down by the river. Uh, no. So we, we we got inspired by some incredible people uh, when we, as we were traveling as therapists, and they had a camper van. We decided, hey, this would be really fun. We love to travel, obviously, and so we looked into it, did a lot of research, and decided we'll convert our own van. So with our friend, uh, help from our friend Nathan uh, in North Carolina, he helped us build it out and so we finished it last year last august about a little about a year ago and we've done two big main uh two month road trips two months last year and then two months this year we're actually currently on a road trip right now and we're currently actually in flagstaff uh, arizona so but yeah we don't live in it full time it's more it's just for fun just to experience the the, road trips yeah, road trip.
2: driving around while we're on assignment visiting different
0: places mm-hmm. yeah absolutely all right, so I guess we'll start diving into the questions a little bit. Uh, we'll start with Whitney Myers because I feel like it's a good starting point. What advice would you give students interested in entering, entering travel therapy, domestic or abroad? We'll start with that and she has a second question after that.
1: Okay, so just in general, I would, any anyone interested in traveling therapy, I would say one of the biggest pieces of advice that we can give you, get mentorship. Talk to someone who's traveled before try to start to learn the ins and outs. And that's obviously you're in the good spot right now. You're listening to us and we have eight years worth of experience. So you're in the right spot, but definitely just getting your uh, your understanding of what travel therapy is all about and how to become successful at it. And so that's one big piece of advice. I think a lot of new grads will come out of school and they may ask us one or two questions, but then they tend to kind of go rogue and go on their own. And it's not until later they come back and ask more questions. So we always tell all new grads, Get the mentorship from us or others who have traveled for a considerable amount of time to know the ins and outs so that we can get you on that path. Because if you can get that mentorship right off the bat, you're going to have a completely different experience. So that's one big piece of advice that we can give you. Uh, let's see here. Um, so as a other piece of uh, another recommendation, what I would say is start to think about you know, different areas that you may want to travel to. Uh, different studies you may want to work in and see if this is going to, be, it's going to be for you. I think that traveling therapy, you really need to be adaptable. The great thing about physical therapy in general, in general, we are very adaptable. If you can go through physical therapy school, you are an adaptable person because it's not easy. And so I know you can travel as well. I think a lot of people get really nervous about that. They like, oh, go, I don't know if I can do it. But you can with the right mentorship. But just understanding where your goals are, what are your professional goals, where are your personal goals, write those down. And you're more likely to achieve those goals if you write them down. And it's a great way to kind of see where you're at. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Would it what what agree with that? that. Yeah. am um, getting a little bit of an echo now. Even From us. We just, yeah. But um we just try to turn up the down and do it. So, <laughs> it. That's nice. yeah. so we just do on the fly. Um so well, we as go. we keep going, switch. what's the difference really for like, I know people ask you about international travel sometimes. What are some advice you have for people that maybe want to do
1: trying international? Ah, uh, yes. Go for it. Okay. So with international travel, we, we don't, uh, we have not experienced that. We haven't done it yet. So uh, we have a few links that we can provide you that can do volunteer work or non-volunteer work. Uh, and then with those links, you can educate yourself a little more. We typically just do domestic. And I know there's a lot more rules and regulations that go with international travel. Uh, but there are some really awesome you know, volunteer uh, organizations like STAND is one that I came in contact with at CSM that goes to Haiti every year and or actually a few times a year, I believe, and provides some fantastic care. So that's a great way to uh, get some, you know, experience different cultures and, and help out. But I would say, if uh, Jillian, if you want to enter those those links into the yeah. to the feed there, they can definitely click on that and research it. But I would say we typically do domestic. And I, right when we were putting our headphones in, we, we kind of lost that beginning part of your other question there. So I'm not sure if I answered it to its fullest extent.
0: I think you did. Um, I think that's the most part. So Alex, Alex is dropping all those links about international travel right now. Uh, the second part of... Whitney's question would be: Would it be better to get some experience in outpatient or acute setting before starting travel therapy?
1: Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest question we get from all new grads, and I think that uh, a lot of professors will will kind of steer students towards that, like, hey, get a little experience before you start traveling. And we, I started up, we started off as new grads, and we were very successful. Now, don't get me wrong, we learned as we were going, and we definitely made mistakes. However, we did not have mentorship. And so that's why we essentially did one or less PTs is so that you don't have to worry about that. But the answer is no. I think it's great for new grads. It's just really important to understand the ins and outs, like understand what are the important components to make yourself successful. So the one thing that we always push is you have to know how to interview well. And the truth is you don't always come out of school knowing what questions to ask, especially if you're on your, your rotations, your clinicals. Mm-hmm. You're, you're 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 definitely part of. You're not hundred percent part of the team. To where there's a lot of questions you may you may have missed or you may not ask during the interview process uh, because you really didn't technically have to interview for those clinical rotations you signed up for and you went. Uh, but when you're applying for jobs, it's a whole different story. And so with the interview, you're capable of asking the right questions to say, "Am I going to get the mentorship that I need? The clinical mentorship? I you know how long is orientation? You know how long is it going to take me to get up and running?" If I need help or want to ask a question to someone, is there going to be other therapists there who can help me out? And so we tell people to do that. And truthfully, we didn't ask those questions our first assignment. And that, can, that created some waves in the pool for us, uh, for lack of better words. But once again, that was a learning experience that we don't want others to, to have to deal with. So the interview process is by far the most important component of, of whether you are going to become a successful traveler or not.
2: Because I believe in the interview, you can definitely weed out those jobs that are right for you with those that are not. Um, And travel or PERM, you want to be able to answer, to ask the right questions on the interview so that you know if it's right for you. I think think another misconception about travel therapy, too, um, is one that majority of travel jobs are permanent jobs. Mm -hmm. They are seeking permanent staff for that location, but they just haven't found it yet. And so as a result, they need to bring in travelers. And that's something, it's not just a travel job, it's a facility or a home care agency that's looking for permanent staff. Um, so if you get there and you show up and you like it, and they want you to have a good experience, because if you, if you get there and you like it, then they may offer you a permanent job there and you might wanna stay for all 17, Seventeen job assignments that we've been to—they've offered us permanent jobs. So, I think that's another misconception of travel: um, is that you know this is a travel job, and you're a traveler. But generally, it's been um, m- more of a, a permanent job setting for
1: mm-hmm. us. And I don't think a lot of new grads understand that, that that a good chunk of those traveling jobs, quote unquote, is is that they're actually permanent jobs. And so they always say, "Oh, well." I know traveling jobs are different than permanent jobs like well not necessarily no they're actually pretty much the same thing um there's a that's what travel therapy is we are filling a short-term need until they can fill it permanently well guess what you can probably be that short-term need and permanent need if that's something you choose to do Mm -hmm. so it's a great way to travel the country work in different settings and then settle down when you feel like you want to settle down that's awesome yeah yeah i i'm
0: i'm thinking about doing travel therapy so these questions are like kind of you Know, hit me right at home too because I'm hoping to hopefully be a new grad that goes into it. But Andrew Belchelder kind of rolled into this question, I think you answered part of it. What challenges do new grads face going into Travel PT immediately after graduation? You've kind of answered it already, but are there any other things that are hard for new grads?
1: Yeah, I would say that just to reiterate, I think one of the biggest challenges is not knowing what to expect mm-hmm. or what to ask. You know, I always have to tell travelers that it's okay to not know what to ask because that's just, it's not something you've been educated on to do. Uh, So that's just, that's where the learning process begins. That's where you reach out, get a mentor. Um, So that's just an example of that.
2: Uh, Another thing, too, is you might know what to ask, but you might not know what their answers mean, Mm -hmm. which is really important. Again, another reason to make sure you understand fully, you know, you might ask, well, what is productivity? But if you don't understand what it means to have a 90 percent productivity or to see 16 people a day, uh, then you it doesn't matter if you ask the question or not. If you don't understand what the answer means, that's the important part.
1: And that's actually what happened to us on our first assignment. (laughs) We were, I was in my interview and said, yeah, you know, 90% productivity. I'm like, yeah, I was president of my class. I can do it. I didn't know what that I didn't really know, we what, don't know, didn't what, didn't that know what that meant. And then we showed up and they're like, yeah, we're not even close to 90%. And then so it's, uh, that was just once, once again, inexperienced not knowing what to ask and what that answer would even mean. So that's uh, definitely another challenge. Uh, but I would say in addition to that, for just, not just for new grads, but for really for all travelers. We some of the challenges we have are just, you know, missing family, uh, learning, you know, learning new EMRs every place you go. But I should say not every place you go. Sometimes they are repeats, and that's something that actually makes us uh, highly desirable during an interview. Is like, oh, you have experience in Allscripts and experience in McKesson. So like, they, like yep, we've used that, we've used that, and like just looking at the list of EMR, I think we've used almost, like, at least eight to 10 different EMRs in the last eight years, so we have. A lot of experience, and that actually might help us in the interview process. But just doing that, like learning, like I said, maybe getting you, uh, used to new, uh, you know, colleagues. Uh, that just, just those are just things I think are temporary issues that can be easily corrected. And with some good mentorship, we can give you some uh, recommendations and some strategies to improve that. And I think challenges are actually not a bad thing. I think it's when we are pushed and when we are uncomfortable that's when we grow. Uh, both clinically and professionally, so it's... And once personally. A, and personally, but once again, I still think it's important to get that assistance and mentorship so that you know that you are on the right path.
0: Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with all of those
1: things. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Well, good All these questions just kind of keep rolling in, so Perfect. I'm just going to keep checking.
1: Keep so, coming. So, um, keep them coming.
0: Emily Cathy asks, can you clarify permanent home versus tax home, and what are some specific um, and strategies that you two use?
2: Yes. This is a really good question because we as travelers collect tax-free money because we're traveling away from home. So it's really important to understand uh, the basics of this. So generally speaking, most travelers' tax home is the same as their permanent home, um, but they actually have different definitions. So I'm going to reference traveltax.com because they are the gurus of travel taxes and their accountants and everything that is travel taxes. Um, But if you actually go to their website, which uh, we've provided, so you'll be able to click on that and follow that, um, traveltax.com forward slash traveler.html. If you read all of those FAQs, it's gonna help you get a better understanding of Travel taxes, tax home, and all of that. But this is actually the second and the third question on that FAQ. Um, so, according to traveltax.com, a permanent home is where you have your legal ties. Generally, that's your uh, license, your car registration, your voter registration, your credit cards, you know, all of that. That's your permanent home. Whereas a tax home is defined as a region where your primary job site is. Um, and in order to have a tax home, according to TravelTax.com, you have to meet two of these three requirements. And these three requirements are, you have to one, either have a regular business or employment in that area. Um, Two, you have to have a a permanent residence uh, that you are financially responsible for. And three, that you have not abandoned that residence. So in other words, you're returning there often and TravelTax.com recommends 30 days out of the year. So most travelers adhere to number two and number three. So in other words, they're paying to maintain that tax home uh, and they return there often. And since every person's situation is different, I'm gonna recommend that you reach out to traveltax.com and check with them about your specific situation um, because there's a lot of different instances and uh, if you do end up traveling, definitely go with TravelTax.com for uh, you for their, their taxes or to do your taxes because there's there's a lot to it as travelers. It's a little different than a perm job.
1: Yeah. And we always like to say we are not tax professionals. So we I are not tax professionals. Wish we had that as part of our PT. <laughs> we uh, should have actually, a shirt. <laughs> yeah. That's why we would highly recommend getting in touch with TravelTax.com or someone who is uh, very well versed in the traveling tax world so that you can get things done properly, you know, that you're doing things culturally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, am you know that's kind of stressful to think about being like, where you know, maybe I'm going to use my dad's house or something and then be in all these different places. And my best friends and so I'm going to be like, here you go.
1: Do mm-hmm.
0: all my things. Fix it for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, would, and I would recommend though, try to, the reason why we recommend traveltax.com is that uh, this traveltax.com uh, tra- was created by actually a respiratory therapist traveling respiratory respiratory therapist who saw that we saw that there was not this service for us specifically so he decided to go back to school became educated on it and then opened up this company and i would say that even like i've heard of other accountants not knowing the full gamut of the traveling world so even though you get an accountant that's like wow he's awesome he may not know all the ins and outs and that can also get you into some trouble so just make sure that you i i would recommend we have no affiliation with traveltechs.com uh but we've just that's that's something that we would definitely uh, someone we would definitely trust with it because that's, that's what they do.
0: Well, I'll keep that in mind for sure. That's, that's really good advice.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. All
0: right. Lynn Hibbard says for students interested in, in specialties, such as pelvic health,
2: pelvic health, what kind of opportunities are there for specialty?" Yep. I have seen placements, uh, for pelvic health and women's health. Um, definitely. But you also have to be licensed in the state that you practice in or with the new compact license that's making it easier and more accessible to other states. Um, and it's all about timing with getting the job in addition to the your resume compared to whoever else might be um, up for that job as well. So there are definitely opportunities and specialties, mm-hmm. but... You have to be a little bit flexible as a as a traveler. And I would say if you're um, also
1: pursuing a new certification or a specialty, uh, there are some hospital systems, facilities, clinics that are trying to get those programs started. And so if you mm-hmm. interview for a position, say, hey, you know, I'm uh, you know a procedure specialist, for example, or OCS, or want to say pelvic floor uh, specialist, those are things that you can use into your advantage during the interview mm-hmm. process. to be great, we needed someone like that. So there's one clinic that I interviewed with. Nobody wanted to treat the vestibular patients. They were all like, oh, no, thank you. And I was like, uh, I'll do it, I love it. And uh, and I have, you know, I'm a specialist at it. So they're like, great, so that's where I, that definitely uh, works my, to my advantage to get that, that job location. And like Jessica said, there are also other facilities that already have the program that you can definitely improve your education on that aspect if that was something that you were interested in doing. But like I said, it's all timing, it just, they come and go. Mm-hmm
2: so what
1: is that process of kind of getting a site like yes for y'all getting a
2: site meaning like
1: a position an assignment
2: this is good because gabe's currently in uh the trenches of or we we, yeah we (laughs) both are in the trenches of uh looking for uh an assignment so um one you're connected with a recommended recruiter you know someone that you know you can trust they will give you a list of job opportunities that they have with their company you can review what those jobs are and i recommend briefly researching each area because if you know you don't want to go to that area then you don't want to waste anyone's time in applying for that job Mm -hmm. Um, so briefly research the area and if it looks like it might be an option for you you tell your recruiter to submit your application to that job resume or to that job Basically, um, if they like what they see, if the facility likes what they see on your resume, then they'll set up an interview. And if uh, you interview, it's a phone interview. It's always a phone interview. If you you never accept the job on the phone, you always uh, get back with your recruiter and tell them you know, whether you're going to accept or decline the job. Uh, you're interviewing the facility, I would say, as much as they're interviewing you.
1: Sometimes even more, to mm-hmm. be honest with
2: you. Yeah. You want to make sure that job is the right fit for you. and. After that interview, you get back with your recruiter, you accept or decline the job, and then you'll set up contracts uh, after that. So that's kind of like a brief in summary a yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of how it works. Yeah.
1: And then you get the contracts, you review it, obviously, see making sure that what you agreed upon is in there, vacation, you know, your pay, things like that. And then, you know, you say yes, you sign the facility signs, you sign, and then that's a done deal, and then you and then you start. That's like I said, in a nutshell. <laughs> it's a lot more to to elaborate on. But that's uh, I think very well said, Jess.
0: Thank you. You're welcome. How long does it actually take like to go from when you start looking to when you start working?
1: I know uh, it probably depends. It depends. Yeah, it, it, it definitely varies, but it can be as quick as a couple days. Like there are, there, wow. are fa- there, there are some facilities like, hey, we need someone in two weeks or one week. Um, so depending on your start date. So start date means when you can physically start at that facility. So right now my start date is towards the end of October, 1st of November. So we have a couple of things that we have to attend and take care of. So we've just kind of pushed it along. So based on your start date, that will be determined. Uh, and, and, and if they are agreeable with that, then that's okay. Then they'll, they'll, they'll wait for you if needed. But, uh, but yeah, it could be quick, it could be a very quick turnaround to when you interview um, and then get the contract it could be a couple days. We've had people that we've mentored who have interviewed for position on Monday, get offered on Tuesday, sign contracts on Wednesday, and they're ready to go within a week or two. So it's sometimes very quick. But at the same time, we do give ourselves, uh, you know, three, four weeks of, of play just so we can see what's out there. Because not all the jobs you interview for are going to be necessarily for you. So you can't just, you know, if you, you want to give yourself some time, essentially, but it could be very quick.
2: I'd say generally speaking, we start looking for our next assignment about four to six weeks before we plan to start at mm-hmm. that assignment. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it's very we've been very fortunate in the last 17 assignments in the last eight years. We've always had our next assignment set up before our current one's even finished, which is really amazing. The time we've taken off in between, you know, that's usually planned, but we've never had a moment where we're like, oh no, we can't find a job. And that's a great thing about our profession. We're in that era where <laughs> our profession is in high demand and uh, we're so very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time. So that's something that people can look forward to that you have pretty good job security.
2: Yeah. As long as you're fle- as Sorry. As, you're as long as you're flexible, okay. I want to say flexibility plays a huge role in it. Um, it. As a traveler, you have to be open to location and setting, especially as a new grad. So, um, if you're really specific to saying, you know, I want outpatient in this city, it might not work out that way. But for us, there's two of us, and we're licensed in five states, and we're willing to go to any of the five states in outpatient and or home health, and also. Uh, open to other states that might have a quick licensure process. So mm-hmm. we're pretty flexible, and I think that helps with the process too.
1: And I would say that maybe just to know that you said that, thank you for reminding me, that's actually probably another challenge that I would say as a new grad is wh exactly what you're looking for for your mm-hmm. first assignment because it's it's a little hard to show, and this sounds really bad, but I, I thought this way, it's hard to show what you're worth for your first assignment because you know you're a student, but don't don't get me wrong, your education, your clinical rotations matter a lot. And it's it's how well you can use those to highlight your your uh, you know how you know your how you would be beneficial to that facility. But definitely in the beginning, I think uh, a lot of new grads will come out thinking, well, I'm looking for this you know outpatient Hawaii. Why isn't it available? It's like, well, hey, get in line because I like to go to Hawaii. <laughs> too. Uh, so it's it's just. You have to be very adept with just that. So that's also a challenge. Maybe you're not getting exactly what you're looking for for your first assignment, but I would say this, whatever setting you work for on your first assignment is going to be an extreme, an amazing lear- learning experience for you, whether it's what you're looking to do. You know, as being a therapist, we do so many different things. And so you won't be disappointed in necessarily your learning experience, but and it may not be what you're looking for initially, but that would be a, a possible challenge for a new grad. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> well, good. I uh, that's that always good advice because I feel like in travel we always think about that one specific job that we want, kind of out, out of school that you're looking forward to. But I feel like we definitely need to be flexible in travel because, like, maybe I'll be going to be in the city. Then you have to kind of be lax of what setting you might mm-hmm. want to be
1: in. Yeah, absolutely. And usually after that first assignment, it definitely opens the doors up a little because you do mm-hmm. have that initial. Experience and then your subsequent assignments still feel more kind of like, oh, okay, they have experience, they understand, okay, fine. So they're much more uh, new grad friendly. And we always say there's like new grad friendly jobs out there where they are all about like taking you in and bringing you under their wing. You just have to ask those right questions on the interview, like we've mentioned before.
0: Absolutely. See, Molly would like to know for all of our PTA friends, what advice do you have for getting started as a traveling PTA? Are there any specific pta friendly
2: travel companies we should keep on our radar so the market for ptas is uh a lot harder than the pt market right now and so like i had just said the more open you are to setting and location the more opportunities you're going to have as a travel pt mm-hmm. Uh, for PTAs, you have to be open to basically where is there a PT job in the U.S. PTA. PT, I'm sorry, PTA job in the U.S. And is it the right fit for me? Because you don't want to just get a job in Washington State because that's where you want to go. You want to make sure that that's the right job for you. So if that means you're not going to Washington State and you're going to a different state, and this holds true for PT as well, um, it take the good experience over the location that you want to go to especially initially Um, but know that the pta travel market is uh, a little bit tighter than the pt travel market so just be really flexible and and be ready for that know that it's not going to be you know well i want to go here
1: yeah i wouldn't say there's specific companies that just do pta or are very highly specialized in pta positions for PTAs, they should be, you know, as long as they do allied health prof, professionals or practitioners, they should be able to help the PTA. So I recommend uh, recruiters, companies we worked in the past, they've also had uh, PTA options, uh, just when we've mentored other um, PTAs. So they're, they're definitely, I wouldn't say there's a specific company that just does PTA stuff. But the process of you know the interview and going through the. whole, It's the same thing as as what what we have to do as PTs to go and initiate that process of becoming traveling therapists. Like just it's just the market's a little different, and that's about it. So, okay. Well,
0: right off that, what do you guys look for in a recruiter?
1: That's that's a great question. Um, so we actually have a criteria we call it the stamp of approval for recommend recruiters. So we we typically are looking for. Um, so when we contact a recruiter. We're looking for them to respond within a reasonable amount of time, so within 24 hours. So if we call or email, we're looking for good communication. We don't want someone who goes like a week or multiple days without even just chiming in. Uh, even if there's no news, we still want to hear something. Um, and, and that's that's really important to establish with the recruiter from the get-go. Um, just making sure that they explain the notice policy because in the traveling world, there's there's thing called a notice policy where they can give you 30 days notice. So remember that we've said that they're looking to staff that permanently, that position. So if they find someone permanently, they may give you 30 days and say, hey, you know what? We don't really need you anymore. We found someone permanent. Thank you so much. And then you can get 30 days of notice. So that's something that's not always uh, ed- or told to, uh, mm-hmm. to travelers from recruiters. And that can get people in some very hairy situations. But that's just the nature of the beast. That is our, uh, That is a traveling world. You just have to be open to that. And not to go off on a tangent, but that's something you can definitely ask in the interview process of, you know, are you expecting, like if you were to get, hypothetically speaking, a permanent employee, would you be able to kind of let me finish my contract there or would you discontinue it? And I would hope they would give you the honest answer, but there's questions that we like to ask that you can get a better idea of what what that possibility would be. Um, We also want to make sure that they're being honest about the market, because like I said, new grads will come out, they'll say, I want that job in Hawaii. An outpatient they're like oh yeah let's, let's just look for you but really they know like there's nothing there and so they're just kind of tagging you along and you're kind of wasting time with them uh so we have there's been i think one of the recruits that we used in the past we still use i i loved her 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 honesty it was a little abrupt on me but i was like oh well i appreciate that because she was like you know what no there aren't any jobs in this area that you're looking for right now and it's very hard to find a position in that area uh, so it was just that honesty is very helpful, I and mean, we may not want to hear it sometimes, but it's extremely important to be successful. So honesty, uh, just being able to tell you the truth, nothing but the truth, and then responding quickly to your um, to your emails or calls. But in addition to that, is how when are they available? And that's that's you know they just clocking in at nine and clocking out at five, and then after five, like they're not around. So we we understand that they have a life and that they you know they, the work and the work and life balance is important. But I would say that a recommend recruiter always has this. uh, They'll always have uh, go beyond our expectations. Uh, We've had recruiters help people on the weekend while they were at a football game tailgating, and they pick up the phone and helped them right away, which was an emergency
2: situation. Emergency situations is mind
1: blowing to have that recruiter available to you. So that's something else we look in that we look for. And then, yeah. So. Which Go ahead, it's a per diem one. Mm -hmm. So then the per diem is an allowance with the GSA rates and abide by the IRS guidelines. So this is one that really hits home because, unfortunately, we see this often with people that we mentor. We want to make sure that the numbers that they're putting in your contract are within the IRS guidelines because it can get you into some financial issues if you are not. So like I said, it's so important to educate yourself not only on the whole therapy world itself and the whole ins and outs, understanding that your recruiter has your best interest at heart and we always like to say it's not just a recruiter that makes it it's got to be that nice balance between a good recruiter and a good recruiting company because if you have one or the other that's not very good you're not going to have the best experience you want to have that nice yin and yang nice balance between the two
2: and you want a recruiter who wants the best for you too. And the best for you is working with multiple companies so that you can find the right job for you. Mm-hmm. So you want a recruiter that's going to be supportive of the fact that you're working with more than one company. And if you do accept a job with another company that they're supportive and saying, all right, well, maybe we'll work together next time. Let me know you know, in 13 weeks when your contract is up, what you're looking for, and, and we'll take it from there. Um, so making sure that they're supportive of your ability
1: to work with multiple
2: multiple companies. But also
1: be respectful of what your professional goals are. So for me, mm-hmm. I really love outpatient, I love manual therapy, and that's what I'm pursuing right now. And there have been times with uh, recruiters where they'll, they'll mention like, hey, I, got, I have these jobs in you know, skilled nursing facility, and I'm not looking for that. And, and there, there are recruiters out there who might get frustrated that you're trying to be uh, very specific, and they call it picky, and like I said, you do want to be open-minded in the beginning, but as you establish some experience, you'll be able to hone in on that, that certain setting that you want. But a good recruiter will respect your professional goals, so they're not getting in the way of that. So they're not giving you a hard time for not accepting a position that you really don't want to take.
2: And a yeah. good recruiter, sorry. We still, we still have more. And a good recruiter will not say things like, oh, well, skilled nursing is really good for new grads. Now, I'm not saying that it's not good for new grads, but that recruiter has no no concept of what skilled nursing is, and they have no concept of what your background is as a therapist and if you had any affiliations in skilled nursing or any of that. So if you find that, you know, recruiters are saying things that are, uh, that they wouldn't know if they weren't clinical uh, or if they ha- didn't have affiliations in those settings, um, shy away from that because yeah. it, it's not their place to tell you that skilled nursing is good for new grads or uh, a certain setting is, is good for you or right for you. Only you know that.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's really important because I know like I want to do travel right out of school, but I really want to do neuro. I'll pursue a residency within the next like three years, but I hopefully, like, hopefully they won't push like outpatient ortho or something on me as opposed to just trying to find something that'll help you with mentorship as well.
1: Absolutely, and and, then you, and like I said, you have to be once again adaptable because there are some outpatient positions. I would say we have a very strong neuro uh, patient caseload. Uh, some are that are, and we actually see it all the time. actually I one that I interviewed a few months ago for Florida. They said they had like seventy percent or sixty percent ortho, and the rest was neuro, which is a really nice split, if you ask me, because usually it's more of just ortho. Ortho, and they get you know get some scattered of. Uh, patients who are neuro-based, but there definitely are opportunities out there. So it just like I said, you just have to ask those questions.
0: Awesome. Well, we, we keep, there's more and more questions popping up. So I'm going to start yeah. going through these a little more quickly. Yeah. Uh, Randy, Jenny, how?
1: Sorry, how? if we're being, if we're being long winded, just cut us off. <laughs>
0: it's just inflammation. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Randy, Jenny would like to know how much impact does a living stipend have on your total personal income?
2: I have to run the numbers. Um, as a traveler, in uh, in general, I would say half of your income is taxed and half of your income is not taxed. That's just really rough. And it depends on the contract, it depends on the recruiting company, it depends on um, the location that you're traveling to and their per diem rates, but roughly half of it is taxed and half of it is not. So uh, I can tell you that according to WebPT Guide 2017, uh, they posted that the median salary for new grads is about $66,000, uh, whereas new grad travelers will make anywhere from...
1: Um, Wouldn't it be double, nearly double? Yeah, could be says. nearly
2: double, the Web WebPT says, but in general, as a new grad, you might make Anywhere between eighty to one hundred thousand dollars as a new grad, so that's a lot of it. Um, we get paid more as, as travelers because we get that tax-free money, um, but also because they're willing to pay a little bit more to get us there and work ASAP. Basically,
1: yeah. yeah. So facility, the facilities themselves, you know, the facilities they are a business, so they have to continue to make sure things are functioning at a at uh, at a certain level. And so if they're if they don't have a clinician there helping out that means they're not seeing as many patients, which number one makes patient care go down, but also they're not making that revenue they need to continue to operate the facility. So getting you there is helpful to them. It's a, it really is, the way I look at it, and that's why I always tell new grads, show appreciation when you go there, because it's, it really is a, a two-way street. They're appreciative that you're there, you're helping take some of that caseload off of them, but you also have to show appreciation that they, they have you there and that you have the opportunity to work there. So there's always that, that give and take there. Uh, that's that's
0: so true because i feel like um you know long as you feel privileged because you know you're a traveler you're helping them out but they're also helping you out at the same time
1: absolutely I think we've we've always had very warm welcomes from all the companies facilities that we've worked with gift baskets and and like <laughs> plates of brownies and all this other stuff and we've been just so grateful for them and and I think that uh, we have to continue going forward any new grad that gets into traveling therapy is to keep make sure that they are being grateful and to show respect for those who have who are there, and I think there are, you know, everyone has their own personality and we'll show it in different ways and that's fine, but you definitely have to make sure that we push that professionalism that we're so well taught in PT school and be grateful and respectful for for being there. And I think you'll have a, a fantastic experience and a great uh, response from other colleagues there by, by doing that. That's,
0: I completely agree. Um, We have a question from Tim Turner, he says, any insight on how to go about negotiating salary once becoming a permanent therapist? Mm -hmm.
2: Once becoming a permanent therapist? Maybe going from travel to permanent, maybe at the same location.
1: Yes, uh, Jess will probably think for a second here and then add some awesome (laughs) feedback. I'll just say right off the bat, it is extremely difficult to compare a traveler with permanent because you're, you're, you're you're comparing orange and apple. So if, you, if you, you really have to come down to the reason why just that we make a little more as travelers is because of tax free, uh, uh, tax free portion of our pay. So as a permanent employee, you don't get that. And so that's hard to say, like, hey, I made this as a traveler. That's what I want, because they'll look at you like, I can't do that. And uh, that it's almost I would say this just to, to make it safe. But saying that would will most likely be somewhat disrespectful because it's it's not the same thing. It's a completely different world. Uh, but to negotiate, I think it's what what's really important that I feel that people bring up when transitioning from travel to permanent is what's the growth? What's my opportunity for growth here? Like what's the incentive? And the truth is, we've worked for uh, facilities that had fantastic. Uh, you know, incentives to grow. And that's what we want. We want that beautiful balance of life and work, but we also know it comes with a price and we just don't want to be worked, worked, worked and not be compensated for it. Okay. And But there are other facilities that not so much don't have the best incentive package or, you know, your way to grow in the company. And it depends on what kind of therapist you want to be, but we would hope that you'd always want to continue to grow in your skills as well as make more for that. So I think that's a very important thing while you are negotiating, understanding, what their, what their goal is for you, what your goals are, and does that number best represent your current situation? So, yeah.
2: And I will add that... Told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, bringing, being a traveler, you work with multiple facilities. Mm-hmm. So working with eight home care agencies or seven outpatient clinics or however many it was, um, we know what works and what doesn't work at each place. And we come to new facilities with uh, fresh eyes, basically, and saying, well, why don't you maybe try it this way? Or, um, and I know Gabe, you tell the story about.
1: Yeah, but we've asked, uh, so just to give you a quick example, I was at an outpatient clinic and they were having a really hard time with their cancellation rate and they just understand why. And so after working at five or six different outpatient clinics and kind of knowing like the different ways people do things, uh, they said to me, now I I normally don't just jump out and recommend because I want to make sure I respect, but they came up to me and asked me, hey, do you have any recommendations? And I was able to look in about 20, 30 minutes, able to determine, hey, you know what, maybe don't double book this, maybe try to provide the same care to the same therapist, to the same patient, try to have some of that congruency. Because the truth is that one thing we hear all the time is, "Oh, I saw like the 4 you You're the fourth therapist I saw," and you get kind of aggravated. So just things that they may not even be thinking, um, or even about insurance, uh, different insurances, and how you're you're uh, supposed to bill for them appropriately through the guidelines, and being able to structure that around the PT schedule to to make sure that we can can really maximize our opportunity. And so just by coming in like that with fresh eyes, having experience. Uh, that was something that we're like, whoa, that's fantastic. And all of a sudden you saw their cancellation rate drop like 50% after that, because just of that little recommendation. And that would not be a recommendation I would have if I didn't travel. So I think what Jess was trying to go with that is we learned so much from so many different facilities that I feel like we're very comfortable that we could almost run our we can run our own clinics. We essentially have in the past. And with that information, you can show And negotiate say hey i have so i have this all this experience with 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 not only just the patient care aspect but also the business aspect and of course it's a business especially if it's a private clinic or general facility so it's it's a it's a great way to show what you're worth and what you can bring to the table which will only help you negotiate more in your in your pay so that's that's what i was
2: getting at you got it thank you i like
1: to do long-winded answers we finish each other's (laughs) sandwiches sandwiches. yes we're very good at doing that (laughs) So, yeah, so that would be a recommendation to, to negotiate more. But once again, you can't just do, uh, I want, I mean, this is a traveler. I want this as a permanent. It won't It won't fly, unfortunately. That's,
0: that's very, very good to know. Um, Tori Morrell would like to see, um, how do you both manage your CEUs for various states? Do you put your CEUs all towards the license of the state you are actively in?
1: Yeah, so we have... Uh, You want to answer this Yes, may I?
2: Um, So we have six state licenses, and each state has different requirements for CEUs. So as we complete CEUs, we check out which states they are appropriate for, and I am a fan of Excel sheets. So I have an Excel sheet to keep myself organized between the states that we're licensed in and the CEUs. And then also, um, so when it comes time for renewal, we just count up our CEUs with the qualified states and making sure that uh, they that we have enough for mm-hmm. that state, which we usually do. Um, and we do it through attending professional conferences and attending live uh, CEUs as well as online, so a little bit of mixture of yeah. everything. Each
1: state was a, is a little different. Some states will re- require to be like an actual in class uh, setting setting, and and then another half or a certain portion can be done, uh, you know, at home and on the computer. But that's how we organize. Keep organized, just Excel sheets and uh, asking the question before you send up for the CEU. Say, hey, what states um, is this uh, acceptable for? And they'll they'll be able to answer that for you. So when I was going through the Vestibular specialization, it's not a certification, specialization. I said, you know, what's, you know, work, what states are these acceptable? And they're like, all 50, <laughs> because it's true with, it's with, with the APTA, essentially. So I was like, perfect, excellent. Or others will say, oh, just New Jersey and Florida. And so you have to know what you can also do, though, you can provide paperwork to those states to get it approved. Okay. in that state but just keep that in mind don't just go in blindly saying oh, i'm just going to take this course and then don't be surprised if they don't accept it so you have to do a little research before then but honestly i don't feel like that's i think a lot of you guys are like they're like oh i, I don't know if i can do it. it's a lot of it's not that difficult i think once you get in the swing of things it's just it's very very easy like jess said do what you can to keep yourself organized excel sheets are a fantastic way of doing it you can, you know, have it on all your devices and update it as needed. Tell you when it's going to expire. You know how many CEUs you need for each one. So it's just a quick, easy uh, document for you to refer to.
0: Fell of my own heart. I love Excel sheets.
1: <laughs>
2: all in one box, and you don't forget anything. It's great.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. Jess is the Excel sheet queen. Of I do all. it in my
2: spare time. Yes. It's what I enjoy doing. She had
1: some pretty good mentors growing up, teaching her how to use it. So. <laughs>
0: You know, we all have to get our therapy some way or another, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> the Tenzin, I, sorry, I cannot pronounce your last name. Um, as a travel PT, do you have the power to dictate if you want to do traveling for three-fourths of the
1: year? That's a lot. Yeah, yes, you do. Uh, so the great thing about traveling therapy is that you are agreeing to th- usually 13-week assignments, so three months, and there are some facilities that would, would be more happy to do six months at a time. So you can actually even ask that in the interview. That's something we always ask, say, Hey, I know this is 13 week assignment. Is there any, you think there's gonna be any need after those three weeks, like uh, three months, sorry, 13 weeks. Uh, and they'll say, yeah, there, there possibly could be, or no, we're, you know, we're just filling a maternity leave, whatever the, 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 circumstances are. But that's kind of what we like to do is we like to work for three quarters of the year and then. Go
2: on take, a, road a road trip, road for- trip for a
1: few months and, and kind of get our, you know, life back to balance. Um, but, uh, but you definitely, that's, what's great about travel therapy, especially if you're looking to get certifications, whether it's OCS, NeuroCert, anything, it, it really is allows you to be flexible with your schedule. So if you know, you need to be really, uh, you know, oh, present and go to out of town for these certs, there's times where people can take time off, no problem in between assignments just to do that. And so it's a great way to get some of your professional goals accomplished. Uh, cause we know that working permanently, sometimes it's just, you get a two, maybe two weeks off. Uh, and there's been some places which just they, they only provide a one week off. And so if you think about, man, one week, two weeks off in a year, that's not very much time. So, but travel therapy, that's why we love it so much, because it gives us that variability, that opportunity to take time off when we want to. Now, there is a little caveat to that. Um, we don't want to go off in too much of a tangent once again. But uh, if you work for a recruiting company, because you are working for the recruiting company, not the facility, that's something that people don't always know. Uh, The the recruiting company is that middleman, so you're actually getting paid by them. Uh, If you take their benefits, their benefits will not, uh, you won't be able to exercise those benefits after about a two to three week period. So if you take off a month and you were on their uh, health insurance, you would no longer be a traveler because you're not traveling at that point. You're no longer an employee so that your benefits would drop. But if you're taking like two weeks off in between assignments, which if you really add it up it's what, six weeks a year or more. Uh, it's actually quite significant, but, and you can still maintain their health insurance as long as you don't go past that time. But that is that is different between recruiting companies. So that's a question we tell people to ask.
2: And we cover, we carry our own health insurance so yes. that we don't have to worry about that.
1: Yeah. So you can take two months off and be covered. <laughs>
2: you guys have been doing this for a while.
1: Mm-hmm. Probably a pretty good plan. Yeah, yeah.
0: So Megan Lanphier wants to know, in a nutshell, what did the past 12 months look like for the two of you? Work, travel, visit home, etc.? cetera.
1: The last oh, that's the, the a fun
2: question. Past 12 months? Yeah. yeah, for you. OK.
1: <laughs> so the past 12 months, so technically last year at this time. I have were, a horrible memory, so Gabe's yeah, just going to yeah, take this one. Yeah. So actually, a year ago, we were coming back from a wedding in Europe, in Italy, where I'm from. And uh, we did our road trip in, to Banff uh, National Park in Canada. And we did actually our maiden voyage with our camper van. So we were gone for two months. So I think it was September and then October. We came back, uh, had a job lined up before we even got home. I was actually interviewing uh, the last week or two of our road trip. <clears throat> got a position in South Carolina, in Clemson, South Carolina. It was a fantastic facility. Outpatient, enjoyed myself very much. Jess also worked for them. So we worked um, from, I think, November until about April. And then we came back to... Ah, uh, where our roots are, where we grew up, which was in Western New York. We worked for a great hospital system in Rochester, which we worked with before, and we worked there until uh, August, so last month, August 10th, to be specific. And then right after August 10th, we came onto this road trip. So, and uh, we are seven weeks into our road trip now in Flagstaff, like we mentioned before, and also just want to give a little. Uh, big shout thanks to shout out to NAU, which is Northern Arizona University. Uh, we're at their library right now using their Wi-Fi, so we really appreciate that. And so they've been awesome, very accommodating, though we're not students here. People are kind of looking at us. and Everyone looks so young, by the way, in, in school now. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so we are. Maybe that
2: trip. means we're old.
1: Yeah, we are old. You know, that's right. And so enough. we are. What's that?
0: You're not old unless you feel old inside. That's
1: right. Okay, that's good. right. That's right. Uh, so yeah, so we're wrapping up our road trip, and then we are starting back. A new assignment. Yeah, and then we'll be starting a new assignment. Hopefully by the end of October.
2: But we don't know where yet, which is kind of the fun part. I like to explain uh, j- the job search process is like that feeling you got when you were a little kid when uh, you came down and Santa came and you had presents under your Christmas tree. And that you is saw- if you
1: celebrate. If Christmas. you
2: celebrate Christmas. <laughs> or Hanukkah, or both, which I did. But um, anyway, <laughs> side note. Um, so you come down and you see those presents. And you you can see the presents, but they're all wrapped. And you don't know what's inside of them. That's the feeling that I get when it's job search time. Yeah. It's that exciting it for is, me. It, it
1: is really fun, actually. It's really exciting. Because
2: you never yeah. know what you're going to get. You right. have to like unwrap. Present, you have to interview and see, you know, if it's good at the job for you. In,
1: in the beginning, I think it's hard for you to appreciate interviews, but now we're excited for interviews because we've done so many that's just second nature. But, but yeah, that's a bit, that's been the past twelve months for us uh, that you've seen vacation to work for two assignments, two assignments, and then back to vacation. That's
0: uh, pretty,
1: uh, pretty 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 good there. Yeah, good. it's fantastic. It's, it, it, yeah, it's a fantastic lifestyle, and, true, and that's why we love travel therapy so much. You make it whatever you want to. You know, you don't have to take time off. You can take a lot of time off. It's it's just whatever you want to make out of it, mm-hmm. and that's why we love it so much. It's so adaptable to your life.
2: And you can take time off during assignments, too, which I don't think some people realize mm-hmm. is like if you have a wedding scheduled or you wanted to be sure to be home for the holidays, as long as you disclose that before, uh, either during the interview or, or before you sign that contract, let them know, hey, I, I need that Friday and that Monday off, um, and it gets approved. Then you can take that time off during contracts, which we've done probably in every contract. Yeah,
1: we've never actually. We've been once again very grateful that they've never said no. Like they've never declined our time off. And there's been times where we're both certified yoga instructors. We just took like a week, two two weeks off just randomly just to go get certified for them. They're like, yeah, that's okay. Like it's just it was just no problem. So it's 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 incredible what you can. What you can do during and between assignments
0: absolutely um so i everybody's okay with it we have a couple three or four more questions so i might go a little bit over an hour if everybody's okay with that
1: totally Um, i'm okay
0: with it perfect because this is just really good information and i'm loving it um so mustafa would like to know which contracts. oh i left my spot there they are which contracts are considered good and which ones are not
1: Contracts in the sense uh, of you know, what the content and within the contracts, you mean? I
0: think so.
1: Um, I think well, like assignments, like
2: what's a good assignment? Assignment.
1: I think yeah. Okay.
2: So we talk about good and bad contracts or assignments and determining that on the interview. So if you're interviewing with somebody and you are a new grad and you ask, for example, um, well, what does the orientation process look like? And they might say oh well you'll come in and we'll show you how to use the computer for 30 minutes and then the second half of the day you'll have six patients and then the next day we'll plan for you to be up to full uh full productivity and you know on from there so right away you understand there's 30 minutes of learning the documentation system and then you're kind of thrown into it so that might be an example of uh bad assignment or contract if that's not what you're looking for. Mm. And for most people, it's not what you're looking for. It's not what we're looking for after eight years of doing this. Um, Whereas a good assignment um, or a good contract or interview, you might say, hey, what does orientation entail? And their answer might be like, well, the first day you're going to come in and do some hospital orientation. You have to go through all of the um, OSHA and hand washing training and uh, safety things. And then the second day, we're going to go over the documentation system. And the third day, you're going to go um, shadow a therapist, get introduced to their caseload. The next day, you might uh, pick up a few patients yourself. And then by the end of the first week, we want you to be at productivity by the end of the second week at full productivity. So there's a clear ramp up is what I call it, but ramp up period as far as uh, what kind of orientation you're gonna get. Uh, That would be an ideal situation. Mm -hmm. They aren't all like that. Um, But I I think that helps to answer the question like, well, what's a good contract and a bad contract?
1: Yeah, and so that's, that's, yeah, just to add to that, I think it's very important for new grads and even seasoned therapists to be verbal about maybe the, what their expectations are as well. So there's been, there've been times where I've just said, hey, you know what, I really want to perform at my, at, the, from, at my best capacity for you. So if I can get that orientation, I can be a lot more efficient, much quicker. And, and you kind of make them realize, because they're, they're all their thing is like, well, we, just, we just need to get them going, let's get them started. But they don't realize that paying attention a little more in the beginning will yield a lot more out of us as clinicians later on. And I think I go into any, every interview kind of saying that phrase, more poetically, and they're always very, very open to the, yeah, absolutely. And so we don't want you to be afraid to ask that. And the truth is this: if you ask that, and they're like, no, well, guess what? It's not a good job for you. Don't be part of that statistic of oh no, I had a bad experience with travel. It's because you didn't go with what we're teaching you here, which is ask the right questions and stick to your guns. Don't worry about there will be another job around the corner that will will give you the the time. And the nurturing that you need, and that's that's completely acceptable. But just definitely ask that those questions. Um, in addition, like just we look for red flags. Like it, like what like Jess was mentioning, like we can all relate to red flags. So one of the very first positions I was offered was a rehab director position in Texas. I don't know about you, but I was not ready to take Yay. on that commitment for my first assignment as a new grad. So obviously not all our jobs are appropriate for new grads. And so uh, you just have to be able to identify that. And that comes with knowing what to ask, what those answers mean and get mentorship. So if you can come back to what's, what are we like our thesis statement, get mentorship, talk to us, get, get the right information before you embark on this fun journey.
2: And I tell people that interview, you have one of two gut feelings. There's a gut feeling of, After an interview, there's one of, I'm really excited to do this. This sounds like a really great opportunity, but I still feel nervous in my gut because it's my first job. There's that one. And then there's, I really want to make this work because I want to get a job and I need to start paying back my student loans. But deep down in my gut, it doesn't quite feel right. That's when you say no, right? Um, So they're both going to be like nervous gut feelings, but you have to listen to your gut and your body will tell you if it's right for you or not.
0: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds scary because, I mean, that first job you kind of, just, like, wanted to shock and you're like, oh, I got offered a job. But you have to, like, make sure you look back and pick one that's not going to be completely miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andrew Batchelder says, what was the best way to condense your clothes, electronics, etc. before beginning to travel?
1: <laughs> this was it's an
2: ongoing uh, process. Yeah. No,
1: I, would we're pretty, I would say we're pretty ex- we're, we're experts right now at it. But when we first start as
2: tra-
1: tra- trying, yeah. Really trial and error. Uh, when we first started, we had two sedans and we just kind of filled it to the brim uh, with everything we thought we needed. So we brought just a, four plates, a couple forks, a couple of spoons, like kitchen essentials, the things you really need. Uh, and then we brought the books and binders of things that we thought we would need as well. Uh, clothes depend on where you travel to. So if you know, do a little research, if you're going to Buffalo, New York in the wintertime, you know, you're going to need winter clothes only for about eight months. Uh, <laughs> but, if, <laughs> but if you're going, but if you're one. in South Carolina for the wintertime, you might need a little bit of both. So it's just doing a little research of, you know, uh, where are you going? What's the climate like? You know, what clothes you'll pack? Uh, if you have hobbies like biking or things like that, then you can bring that as well. And then the great thing is, like, if you need something, you can always—it's always, it's always mm-hmm. available. Uh, and that's kind of how we started off with two sedans. Now we've gone to the, the expert mode where we are. Uh, Two SUVs with a six by twelve trailer and a camper van to boot. So, uh, <laughs> but so we kind of have all our stuff, uh, you know, organized in the six by twelve trailer, which everything's minimalist and we can pack it very easily. It breaks down. Uh, very Even our
2: we have furniture in that yes. six by twelve trailer. So yeah. we're renting unfurnished places mm-hmm. and uh, minimalistic furniture, say from IKEA or um, mattress that folds, and we tie together. Yeah.
1: yeah, I would recommend maybe not as a new grad to just go ahead and buy a six x twelve trailer and, yeah, a, don't do and an SUV to start off with. Just keep it simple, and then if you start to realize you're going to do this for a long term, maybe it's a good investment for you. Uh, but there's been you know, there's times where we've just put stuff on Craigslist. Like, yeah, we don't want to see more print Craigslist, and within 24 hours it's sold. So you know, buy some pretty cheap stuff to to go by in the beginning, and then you can always start to. Slowly upgrade your stuff like we did,
2: and every time we move, we make a run to uh, Goodwill or Volunteers mm-hmm. of America with
1: things that we don't
2: use anymore. So we that definitely, helps.
1: yeah, we definitely purge every assignment because mm-hmm. there's stuff we just don't use, and we get, become more minimalist every year. But actually, yeah, if you go, go to our if you go to our website oneorlesspts.com, there is actually a blog that we wrote about the evolution of our packing, which talks about our you know two sedans, to a U-Haul, to a and you know, a pod, to all the way to our six by twelve trailer, which is our current current situation. So if you want to get a little more information, please visit that web- our website and check that out.
2: And that reminds me, um, wonderlessptscom forward slash mentorship has 10 must-ask interview questions. I know we've been talking about interviews a lot and finding the right job for you. Uh, so there's a download there that you can access for interview questions. For free. Absolutely.
0: Okay. I have one more question. Ah, uh, from Randy. He says, "Do you have a problem finding two positions at a time, giving that you travel together?"
1: Yeah. So that is definitely a challenge when you're working as part of a, a team. So that's where I think when we started, it was a different. It just things were a little bit different. It was a little easier. It's definitely getting a little harder now. So in that case, if you're going to work uh, with somebody else or travel with somebody else, you have to think about. You have to be more adaptable. So it's not you know, I want to go here, are there two jobs? It's more, where are there two jobs? And let's try to focus on that. And we also always throw in in the interview of whether Jessica and I uh, get the interview, whoever gets the interview first, we always submit both of our, uh, our resumes, even if it's just one position, we always uh, will send or um, submit both of our resumes and whoever gets the interview first will just use the word we a lot. Like, yes, uh, you know, we would love to. And, and so they start to go like, well, who's this other person here? Uh, and then we start, we'll, we'll ask, you know, after the interview, we kill the interview, hopefully. And we'll just say, hey, you know what? I travel with my wife and she's a physical therapist. She's fantastic. I think she'd be an asset to your facility as well. Is there room for one more? And they'll be like, Yep, yeah, let me call. Let me talk to HR. And then like within a couple hours, like, yeah, we could take both of you. Let's interview her and uh, or let's interview uh, him. And that's it's worked out for us so many different times. And so that's another option just to kind of open up uh, opportunities for for you and your uh, your travel mate
2: that might not work every time no. but it's worked for us we've been pretty fortunate with mm-hmm, it but
1: mm-hmm. we've well, we worked in the same clinic uh, we worked for the same company we worked in the same area so it's been and for all of our positions which is you know 17 positions in the last 8 years so the the it's a it's a pretty good you know it's a pretty good uh, chance that you can get you can get something like I said, you just have to be a little more adaptable and a little more open-minded to where those jobs are
2: i think tips for if if you're traveling together, one, yes, like have that mindset, that mentality of where are there two jobs together, and then is that the right job for you? Mm-hmm. Don't just accept any job. Yes. Um, and then also, I lost it, sorry, I So it's
1: just, yeah, it's just I think also being uh, licensed in more than just one or two states. So if you're just licensed in one or two states, you're definitely gonna make it more difficult for you, and that's a conversation we have to have often with people like, well, we were trying to get, you know, rolling license in, you know, Montana. It's like, all right, now you're making things very hard because you're looking for two positions in the same area in Montana. Now you're making it very difficult So try and expand uh, how many states you're licensed in. And you know, we're not trying to have you go and get like a dozen licenses, but you have to be strategic. Talk to a recruiter. What you know, where is the job market right now? California, great. Let, let me look into California, even though California does take a long, it's a long process. You're looking to see where is the need in the country and where, where a, where do I want to travel as well? Because I don't, we don't want you to go to a state or an area that you're not really, that you don't really care. Because everyone's You know, one person could be a city person, urban, and then the next person likes more country. It all depends on what you're looking for.
2: I remembered. Oh,
1: she remembered. Yeah. I came back. (laughs) Um,
2: Mm -hmm. Being more flexible with your hours, too, is helpful. So in the case where Gabe was interviewing for one 40-hour position but then said, hey, my wife actually is a physical therapist, too. Do you happen to know of any jobs in the area, or are you also hiring? Um, If that second person is flexible in hours, like, oh, maybe I'll only accept 30 hours or 36 hours to start, uh then work up to 40 hours if they need it i've always worked up to 40 hours it's always been that they had the need if they have the physical therapist so uh, that could be another tip for uh teams trying to find jobs together
0: that's, that's awesome you guys have had like that much luck and not necessarily luck but there's been so adaptable for you too like the whole time thing that gives a lot of people hopefully to travel together some yeah. hope there Um, So if you guys are listening, if you're going to do the Facebook comments or on Twitter, say after this hashtag exchange chat on all things travel PT, I'm going to blink. Or things that you learned during this chat, we want to see kind of what you guys took away from this hour. Um, I'm going to do a few announcements before you wrap it up. Um, Flash action strategy is going to be September 26th and 27th, so next week. Um, And Lindsay McAlonen, our SBT delegate, is going to go live tomorrow night with the details. I think it has to do with choose PT and using physical therapists in the opioid epidemic. So you guys are definitely going to want to tune in tomorrow night to learn more about that. And NSC is happening in Providence, Rhode Island, October 11th to 13th. It is not too late to sign up. I'll be there. These two fantastic human beings will be there. Um, And we just want to see you guys there. NSC is hands down my favorite conference. And I've been to all the APTA national conferences so far. It's just like a great energy. There are students that are really fired up and passionate and kind of gets your mojo back or head back to class and start studying again. Um, Jeff and Gabe, if somebody wants to get a hold of you two, um, can you, would you share your um, information with them?
2: Yes. Absolutely. Wonderlustpts.com. There's a contact form there. Or you can email us info at wanderlustpts.com. And that's W A N D E R L U um, S T P T S.
1: Mm-hmm. We're on social sp- media we're on Twitter as well as Instagram and Facebook so you can find us there as well Yes, Yep. so and please I would say please reach out to us and if you're going to NSC uh, the, next month we would love to get together with anybody who wants to get together even before after during Just ask questions get to know each other That's something that we love about traveling therapy we just meet so many incredible people so definitely hope you know Contact us. Let us know you're gonna be there. We'd love to, to meet you in person and Jillian, thank you so much for having us. This was such an honor. We just, this is You've given us a platform to talk about what we're so passionate about, what we love. And we really hope we've inspired a few people tonight. And uh, we want to let you all know that traveling is an opportunity for you uh, in, within the PT world and take advantage of it. And it's incredible. So we hope that we inspire uh, many of you this evening. if we haven't, then we haven't done our job. Then call us and we'll talk to you more. <laughs>
0: Thank you guys so much for joining me. I know that a lot of us have been really curious about travel and you gave us some great information and answered a lot of questions. So with that, um, so the next time I come on, I will be with the new director of communications. So this is my very last solo exchange chat before I hand the reins over and the new board gets elected at National Student Conclave. Um, Uh Everyone, thanks for joining us and we will see you next month.
1: Yeah. Thank you everyone. Thanks Thanks. for tuning in. Appreciate it. Have a good Sunday. Go Bills.